0: Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, you know, we've already done a lot of things this morning. We sang some songs. The kids sang some songs, and uh, we had we listened to a story that was already already very instructive. Uh, we greeted each other. So surely, surely, you're not also going to preach at us in addition to all of this. Well, I'll make a deal. Abbreviated, abbreviated abbreviate preaching today. Uh, but there is one thing that I would like to share with you. Uh, one truth from God's word that we would share together. Over starting last week and this week and the next couple of weeks as we head up towards Christmas and even the Sunday after, we've started this new series that we're calling Carols for Every Season. And one of the things that we're doing is we're taking a look at some of the words that we use around Christmas time, some of the words that we sing, some of the words that we say, and are asking ourselves, what do they really mean? Uh, not only maybe in their original context, but what do they mean for us today? Some of the words that we use during Christmas can actually be a little confusing. Ken Robinson is an educator who has one of the most popular TED Talks of all time. It's been viewed millions and millions and millions of times. And in that talk, he tells the story, a story of words used at Christmas, how they can often be confusing and difficult to understand. He was at his daughter's Christmas pageant, and the three wise men came onto the stage just right at the time that they were supposed to. And the first little boy who was playing the first wise men came and he gave his gift to Mary and he said, Here I have brought a gift and I have brought gold. And the second little boy, who was the second wise man came and he came to Mary and he said, Here I have brought a gift and it is myrrh. And the third boy who was playing the third little wise man came and he gave a present to Mary and he said, Here, Frank sent this. And the words that we use at Christmas sometimes can be confusing. They can sometimes be misunderstood and difficult to understand. And it's the same way for us. I mean, sometimes we talked last week about that word Emmanuel. And some, we sing each year, O come, O come, Emmanuel. What is it that that word means? What did it mean when Isaiah said it, that God is with us? What did it mean in the, in the book of Matthew when it was said that God is with us? And what does that mean for us today? And we said that, well, the truth is that Jesus is Emmanuel, he's God with us, means whether, uh, whether we're walking in obedience to God or whether we're not, God is still with his people no matter what in the ups and downs of life. God is still with us. This morning we're going to talk about uh, another phrase that we use at Christmas time and, and what it really means and why it's important. You know, there are certain pieces of parental wisdom, parental advice that I think almost every parent ends up giving at some point, and, and all of us when we were children probably heard these at different points in our lives. Certain things that it seems like there's no real parenting class for these things, but it seems like at some point every parent ends up saying them. Things like, don't talk to strangers, or don't run with scissors, or... Uh, If you keep making that face, it will stay that way. Different pieces of advice that it seems like uh, there's no real book on this, no real parenting class, but at some point, uh, every parent ends up uttering those phrases, and we as children probably remember times that we've heard them. There's one phrase that parents utter, and it comes right after what is a very common childhood complaint. It's something that I remember saying as a child, this complaint. It usually happened when my sister who is five years younger than me, my youngest sister is five years younger than me, I remember that as she grew up, she used to get away with all sorts of stuff that I never would have gotten away with as the oldest child at her age. And so I used to utter this phrase in those moments when I felt slided or I felt like I got the short end of the stick. My daughter just said this phrase a couple days ago. We were driving in the car, and she was very upset that my son had spent more time with the frozen toy than she had. And so she uttered this phrase to me. In fact, she uttered it right after I asked her to let our son please hang on to the toy for just a few more minutes. And she came back to me and she said, but dad, that's not fair. And all of us have said that at some point. You remember being a child and feeling like you were slided, feeling like you got the short end of the stick. And so you go to your parents and you would say, but it's just not fair. And often parents will try to make things fair, but eventually... Eventually, when, when they've tried everything they can, they will come back with a certain phrase that maybe uh, you've said it as a parent, but, or, but uh, many of us have heard when we were children. And the parent comes back and the parent says to the child, listen, at some point you're just going to have to realize that life isn't fair. some point you're going to have to realize that life isn't fair. Now listen, when we're a child, we hear that phrase and it really doesn't do that much for us, does it? It doesn't really fix the situation. It doesn't really make us feel all that better about what's happening. And you know, as we grow older, the feeling that life isn't fair never really leaves us. That feeling that we had as a child that life isn't fair and, and uh, it just never really goes away, does it? We look at our own lives in comparison with others, we look at the plight of many people around the world, Uh, we look at our neighbors, we look at our friends, and and we look at people and we say to ourselves, uh, life isn't fair, and it bothers us. There's something about it that bothers us, and and, and we just never quite get used to it, do we? And the advice that people give that, hey, you just got to get over it and realize that life isn't fair, it doesn't really do much for us. In fact... Bill Gates gave a speech to a group of high schoolers uh, somewhat famously a number of years ago, and he he taught them the 11 things that they'll never teach you in school. And so Bill Gates stood up in front of these high schoolers, and he he said, I'm going to tell you 11 things they never teach you in school. Here's number one. Life isn't fair. Get used to it. That's what Bill Gates said. And while what he's saying is true... It doesn't sit well with us, whether we're in high school or whether we're adults, especially when the person saying it is worth, you know, $50 billion. Must be easy for Mr. Gates to say as our computer crashes and he takes all the money, right? That feeling that life isn't fair, it just never leaves us. In fact, just this week I, I was reading an interview uh, with Brad Pitt. He has a, he's in this new movie coming out the big short based on the book by Michael Lewis, and it's about the financial crisis in 2008. And Brad Pitt said to the interviewer, I'm angry. This was on CNN. He said, I'm angry. And the interviewer said, why? He said, every time I think about greedy moneylenders stealing from good people, taking their homes and taking their dreams, it just makes me angry. And it doesn't matter how old we get. When we see things in this world that are unfair, it bothers us bothers us, and it's not okay with us that that's just how life is. We want some sort of answer to it, some sort of solution. Especially when we come to Christmas time and we sing phrases like joy to the world, which we heard our kids sing a little bit earlier, we sing phrases like joy to the world, we can think to ourselves, how is it that Jesus coming 2,000 years ago is joy to the world if 2,000 years later, things are still such a mess around us? How is it really joy to the world when things can still be and are so difficult? How is that joy to the world? What really did it accomplish? What really did it get done? And we're left with these questions. We're left with these questions. The question is, why is the world this way? Why is the world like this? I think all of us would agree that life is unfair and things are unfair and inequitable in our world. Why is it that life is like this? And what is it that we can do about it. Well, that first question, why is the world like this? I believe that the answer comes from way in the beginning. And I believe that the answer for why is the world like this can be found right in this book. We talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago if you were with us. So I'll abbreviate the story a little bit, but if you want to read more about it, it's found right there in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3. God creates everything, and everything is created perfect, and everything is in balance, and everything is in unity. The world is, at that moment, fair. God is in control, and Adam and Eve are living in the garden, and God has given them only one rule that they are to live by. He says, you can eat from any tree in this garden, but there is one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that I'm asking you not to eat from. Now, Adam and Eve, they heard this, and eventually they make a decision. It's a decision, by the way, that each and every one of us have made. We hear what God says. We hear the rules of God, and we say back to God, "Um, thank you for for the rules. I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to choose to do what I want to do. The Bible calls that sin. and So Adam and Eve do the same thing. They hear the rule of God, but they choose not to follow it. They end up eating the fruit of this tree. And the moment they do, everything is changed. All of a sudden, everything that sat in perfect uh, shalom would be the Hebrew word. Everything that sat in perfect balance and peace and unity is all affected by this decision. And in Genesis chapter 3, when God finds Adam and Eve, he speaks to them and he says, Because you've made this decision to turn away from me, the decision that really all of us have made at some point in our lives, to turn away from God, many things are going to be affected. And he gives them a list, but there's one part of that list in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, that I want to read today. God says this, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, about which I commanded, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. God says to Adam, listen Adam, because you've made this decision, you're still going to be able to eat from the ground. You'll still be able to eat those things. You'll still be able to grow food and fruit, but it's going to be more difficult than it was before. You're really going to have to work at it. And every time you go to grow something good, thorns and thistles are going to entangle themselves in that. And you will have to work extra hard. Every time that there is something good that you're growing out of the ground, the thorns and the thistles will be there as well. And that curse that begins with Adam in the garden, it ends up extending to every part of our world. So that any time we try to do something that is good or we go after something that is right or we try to do what it is that God is calling us to do, thorns and thistles are there in the middle of it all. Because we've sinned, because we've turned away from God, the thorns and the thistles continue to grow in our world today. So that we look at this life and we see it and we say to ourselves, there is something that's not right here. There's something that's broken in this world. There's something that's unfair about this world. There's something that's inequitable about this world. And the place that it all comes from is the reality that every time something good is growing, thorns and thistles are growing with it. What do those thorns and thistles look like in our world? They can look like a number of things. They can look like that the the look of hurt in your child's eyes when they're bullied by their peers. The thorns and thistles can look like that time the dishonest co-worker got the promotion ahead of you. The social and economic inequality around the world, the thorns and thistles are alive every time the Yankees win a baseball game. The rough patch in your marriage, the time a person close to us passed away far too young. I was Just talking about someone with that this morning, someone close to them passing away far too young. The general unrest that exists in multiple cities right now between citizens and law enforcement. When Alzheimer's hijacks what was once a bright and vibrant mine. Terrorist attacks on innocent people. Children who will wake up on December 25th with nothing waiting for them. That time we thought following God would make our life easier and it actually made things harder. The simple truth that doing good is so difficult. Every time we try to turn the corner, we say, well, this is the time that I get my finances in order. This is the time that I get in shape. This is the time that I start to read my Bible and pray. Something comes along that throws us off. And we're not able to do it. What we prayed about last week for the young couple that's a part of this congregation who is anticipating having their third child on Tuesday and last weekend had their home broken into and their valuables stolen. Thorns and thistles. In the midst of it all. And that's the world that we live in. And this curse that started with Adam and Eve disobeying God in the garden has taken over and invades every aspect of our world. And the question is, what are we supposed to do about it? How do we change it? You know, for a long time in the city of Boston, we had our own curse that we were dealing with. It started when Babe Ruth was traded to the Yankees, and it lasted 86 years. And do you remember, if you remember, it's hard to believe, right? Over a decade ago, you remember uh, on overpasses or on t-shirts or even on television during the games, there was a phrase that they would use uh, to talk about the day when the curse would end. And the phrase would be all over the place, and it would say, reverse the curse. You remember that phrase? It turns out for baseball, reversing the curse is a little... It's a little Kurt Schilling and David Ortiz, a little Dave Roberts. You mix that all up and you can reverse the curse. But what is it for our world? What is it in our world that will reverse the curse and take care of it? I think that every generation or, and every culture has their own thing that they try to get rid of this curse. I would say right now in our world, what we're trying to do to get rid of the tr- curse is we're trying everything that we can do to make things equal. That seems to be the mantra. If we can just figure out a way across our country and across the world to make everything equal for everybody, this feeling that life is unfair and life is unjust will go away. Now listen, when there, where there is injustice, I'm for getting rid of it. But I do not believe that the idea of making everything equal is going to solve this problem for us. I'm for it. I think we should pursue it but it's not ultimately going to solve this problem. There's only one who can solve this issue, solve this problem, and we sing about it every Christmas. We sing about this truth, we sing about this reality every Christmas. Our children just sang about this reality a few minutes ago, and it's in the third verse of that hymn, Joy to the World, and this is what the words say. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest The ground. No more let sin or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. You see, the reality of Jesus coming and being born and living and dying and being raised again, God sends him as the answer to the curse. And the truth of the gospel, the truth of the of this season that we are remembering is that even though the curse invades everything in our world, the cure that is in Jesus Christ goes far beyond the curse. Even though this curse has touched everything and we can see it in our world all around us, the cure that is in Jesus Christ, that baby born in the manger, goes far beyond the curse. This is how Paul says it, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5. He says, but where sin increases in our world, grace increases all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God sent his son, Jesus, so that he might do the work that none of us could do, that he might live a perfect life, that he might die on the cross for our sins and be raised again so that he could begin this process of reversing everything that is wrong with this world so that if we would put our trust in him and our hope in him, we might not only experience his grace each and every day as we walk through this world that is unjust and unfair, but also we will experience his presence for eternity with him once this world is complete. And the truth is that wherever the curse exists, wherever the curse is found, the grace that is through Jesus Christ is ever present there with it. If we would call on him, and if we would trust him, and if we would serve him with our lives, his grace is enough to defeat the curse. His grace is enough to lead us through the curse. His grace goes beyond the curse, and it will do what everything that we cannot do on our own. Stephen Colbert, Stephen Colbert uh, just took over The Late Show with David Letterman. He's a late night talk show host. And a couple of months ago when he was in that transition period, he uh, gave an interview to GQ magazine. And in that interview, he talked about something that happened to him when he was young that is wildly unfair. When he was 10 years old, his father and his brothers were killed in a, co- in a plane crash. So that from the time that he was 10 years old until today, it was just him and his mom. And he watched his mom, he said, try and deal with the sorrow of losing her husband and losing her sons. He watched her walk through that pain, watched her walk through that difficult time. But what he watched as well was the, the unbelievable role that her faith played in walking through those trials. He said this, my mom was broken, yes, but bitter, no. And Stephen Colbert talks about trying to grow up and trying to make sense of the horrible injustice he suffered and the reality of a God who loves him. And this is what he said. As Colbert's eyes filled with tears, he said, it would be ungrateful. It would be ungrateful not to take everything with gratitude. It doesn't mean you want it. I can hold both of those ideas in my head. He he was 35, he said, before he could really feel the truth of that statement. He was walking down the street, street, and it stopped me dead, he says. I went, I'm grateful, and I feel terrible. I feel so guilty to be grateful, but I know it was true. We need to recognize that our sorrow is inseparable from our joy. And to always understand our suffering, Stephen Colbert says, in light of our eternity. When we follow Jesus Christ, we know that the cure that comes in him, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of our souls, the restoration of this world, it goes far beyond anything that we would experience in this world. That wherever the curse invades our world, that the cure that is found in Christ goes beyond the curse so that, like Stephen Colbert is talking about, in light of eternity, in light of who Christ is in eternity, in light of who that baby is, is the conquering king who will one day come again, no matter what we face in this world, we face it with the knowledge that our God is good and his grace is greater and no matter what it is that we are walking through in the light of eter- in eternity, we can rejoice in our suffering, we can be grateful in our sorrow because the curse invades our world, but the cure through Christ goes far beyond it. I'm going to invite our worship team back to the stage as we prepare to close today, and this is what I'd like for us to do. We have a few minutes left together. I would like for us to take some time and really spend some time in in prayer and singing, worship of our God, I don't know where it is for you this morning that you feel the effects of the curse. But I know that all of us feel it somewhere. Maybe you're here this morning and you really need to be healed of something. or Maybe someone close to you needs to be healed. Maybe you come here this morning and and you're in, in, a, in a relationship or you're in a marriage right now that is, it is really in a tough place. Maybe you come here this morning and you love your kids, but things just aren't clicking right now between you and them. You know, maybe you come here this morning, and when it comes to just feeling like this world is unequal and unjust You feel like every time you try to do something that is right and good and the things that God calls you to do, this world comes and just knocks you back down. I don't know where you're experiencing the effects of the curse this morning. Maybe it's in your work. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your personal life. But all of us experience it somewhere. In just a few moments, I'm going to close us in prayer. And I'm going to invite us to stand and then we'll all sing a couple of songs as we close. And while we do that time, while we do it, in that time we're going to have a few people up front here. We want to pray with you. Those places where God, where you are experiencing the effects of the curse and you need Jesus Christ to come in and to touch you and to, and to heal you and to restore you and to make it right that place where you need to be encouraged in your faith and your hope renewed we want to pray with you and i know it can be awkward sometimes to come forward and ask for prayer but if we can't do it in this room with these people where is it that we can't do it and maybe you're in this place and you'd want to spend just a few moments alone with the lord you're welcome to do that in your seat you're also welcome to come forward and kneel before these altars I don't think that God is more present at the front of the room than he is in the chairs, but I think sometimes it's good for us to alter our position before God. Come and spend time in his presence. So whether you would want to come and ask for prayer or spend time in his presence, we will have time to do that this morning. I don't know where the curse is affecting you. But I know the cure is in Jesus Christ. Would you stand, and I'm going to close us, and I'm going to pray for us. We'll spend this time in worship together. God, we trust you this morning. Lord, we thank you that even though this world is not the way you created it to be, even though sin has come and messed this place up, even though things are not equal and things are unjust and things just aren't fair, we thank you for the truth that the cure for that is not found in this world, but it's found in Jesus Christ, alone. And we trust you today, Lord. We give you honor and glory. The Lord and Lord, I pray as we spend these next few moments in prayer, at these altars and with one another, God, that you will move in a very real and powerful way. You'll touch hearts and you'll touch lives. You'll change us as we spend time in your presence. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to spend time with God, you'd like us to pray for you, you'd like to spend time by yourself, please come. Please come and do that.